Welcome to the latest, greatest episode of the Network Age. I am Bitchel Ritson here, as always, with my handsome co-host, Nilrun Mardux. Nilrun, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We got the Volcano Summit in El Salvador behind us. I'm starting to relax and, yeah, starting to talk through some next projects, yeah. Yeah, it's been an exciting time. We had the Volcano Summit. I recently got back from... ETH Denver, so there's been a lot of moving and grooving, and now we're we're happy to get back to the pod where we have a really excellent guest uh, joining us today, Shad from uh, Giga, and uh, which is a crypto marketing and investment firm, and and frankly, they're on the cutting edge of a lot of what's going on in, in crypto and Urbit today. So I'm I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to him. Yeah, I was really impressed with Shad's talk at the Volcano Summit. I heard also good things about his talk in ETH Denver. Um, and yeah, it's really interesting. I was just like chatting with him after. I hadn't realized he'd also had the Kiev connection. Uh, so I was getting some nice flashbacks of days, you know, at the, at the Blur Cafe and various other mm-hmm. awesome <laughs> spots in Kiev. So yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace. <laughs> Um, yep. yeah, well, I, th- I mean, I think we're going to get into some really cool stuff. Certainly we're going to be talking a ton just about like what is going on in, in crypto and the main narratives and, um, you know, all this, this talk about DAOs and community and what that really means. But I think in, in the back half of the episode, we're also going to really dive into Urbit and how that ecosystem is, is developing. And I think he's got some really interesting thoughts about how it's going. Yeah. I'm really curious to just talk to him about you know, from that more shot has a, you know, that kind of crypto marketing background and just kind of learn from that perspective and that, like, how are they viewing Urbit, right? Because Urbit's a very different project from like a normal sort of crypto project or what we saw in the ICO bubble phase. It's like way more values aligned. So I'm kind of, I think it's really bullish to see people like Shad getting excited about Urbit and starting to think about how to grow it, how to invest in it. And yeah, very curious to hear his perspective because he comes from just like a really unique background having, you know, been in crypto since 2016. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I think, uh, you know, we're going to get into some really fun stuff about, you know, what makes Urbit cool, what is cool and why, you know, being cool, good vibes, aesthetics are actually really important to the development of the cryptoverse. And I think it's it's fun to <laughs> to bring that in there. And it's not all just about, you know, making money, though that's obviously nice, too. So, uh, without further ado, we'll uh, jump into the episode and uh, hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Today, we are joined by an extra special guest, Shad, the GP of Giga, and also on Urbit, Narpal Makal. Howdy. Shad, thanks for joining us. We're glad you could be here today. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm over the stomach bug from the volcano. I can speak properly. <laughs> Oh great! What do you? Uh, what are you? What are you doing? Any vomiting? Were you ex- expelling some resources? The other end, yes. And I decided to <laughs> to fight multiple people while I was ill, including Nelron. And I only lost because I was ill. But I lost three times in a row. It was very, it was yeah, very we'll have to do a rematch at Assembly, you know, Lisbon. Yeah, yeah. We can have a sort of pod guest, um, like winner take all battle royale to see who's uh, who's king of the pod at the end of all this. Um, but uh, Chad, yeah, I mean, you were just in. You've been really all around lately. You were just at the volcano summit in um, El Salvador. You at East Denver before that. You're you're clearly a hustler going out there and getting things done. So. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, Giga, the work you're doing there, and, and why, you're, uh, why you're running around and, and 
getting so much done? What's what's inspiring you and what kind of work you're doing? Sure. Open question. Very big. I'll keep it short. Thank you. Um, what's inspiring us is a big challenge. This, this kind of new interface or organization that's happening in the ETH Maxi world. Um, it was mainly driven for speculation and like interesting incentives, but now it seems to be kind of maturing off and we have real structures appearing and it's tangible and there's some winners, right? Out of the thousands of losers, there's some winners. And we're focusing on scaling those and, and copying those patterns and thinking about how to really put capital where capital needs to be. That's what we do nowadays. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously super important that there's there's so many people working in so many companies. I mean, this was something I was at ETH Denver also, though I, I we didn't get a chance to meet. What a shame. Um, but, you know, I was... For, for something that people are calling like a bear market, right? I walked into that conference center. And I was like, holy shit, there's so many people here, so many projects building, so many things going on. And it can be really difficult to tell, you know, the serious ones from the ones from the scams, from the ones with potential, from people who just are floating out in space. So I'm curious with, with your work with, with Giga, um, how you guys go about identifying what you think are promising projects, the places that you want to put both your your time and your capital? Mm. So very different to what it used to be. I mean, we, we started doing this in 2016, 2017, and then it was anyone that was calling themselves an ICO. Uh, now our tastes have matured, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, uh, now, now our tastes have matured. So we look for a, a bunch of criteria on the DAO side um, that makes it even past the first filter. We, we look the prior stages of funding and, and, and how they're mined and how they launch before we even think about whether we can work with them or if it makes sense for them to ever be a long-term partner. And and would you describe Giga like at you know in the quickest pitch as like a crypto marketing firm or do you think it has some resemblance to uh, a VC like is or is this a sort of new type of partnership that you guys are creating? Yeah, we're trying a new model. The catchphrase is liquid lobbying. It's more akin to okay. what we might know as activist investing in the Web2 world. If you know Carl uh, Icahn or Bill Ackman, they're mm -hmm. normally known for shorting and publicizing shorts. Um, we have a different thesis, which is you know longing and publicizing longs. But uh, in normal fund structures, there's some nuances, but in normal fund structures, you have things like LPs, et cetera, and you have fees, right? And, and this is what runs the fund. And we have a thesis that there's new models, namely service down models, that can be in combination with this concept of liquid lobbying. And you can have an outsized impact on these public goods while making a net positive return from the fund. Uh, moreover, you know, more and more, not that many people give a shit, but all these large funds, pension funds, etc., they find it very difficult to to not only place capital, but they, they look down on high management fees. So if you have maverick funds that want like a decent amount of talent to execute, you have to come up with new ingenious methods to, to do so. Um, and of course, <laughs> yeah, and delegation is that way, right? Delegation gives us um, a new way to, to enter permissionlessly into the organizations and, and both give value and get value. And so it seems like the idea of DAOs is really fundamental to this new uh, ingenious investing thesis you have, this permissionlessness, and the, the actual structure of these organizations is really important to how you're um, allocating capital and what sorts of decisions you're making. So I'm curious. I feel like the word DAO gets 
thrown around all the time and it, it means a lot of different things depending on who is speaking and the level of centralization can change and the amount of power that an individual has versus like a governing board or body can change. So why, I'm curious what you think like a DAO means. How do we tell the real DAOs from the fake DAOs and what are the advantages this type of organization offers? Yeah, so I won't give your audience like the idiot-proof guide to DAOs, but I'll, I'll say the common myth <laughs> and the common catch-all. So first of all, the common myth is the A in DAOs. People think it means autonomous. Actually, it means autonomy, right? You're taking autonomy from jurisdiction. Mm. That's the whole point. And this lends itself to namely public goods. So if something isn't a public good, like if it doesn't have to be inherently everyone's and no one's at the same time, um, and you want to get rid of all these fallacies, like you know, tragedy of commons, because they are just fallacies for the most part. They don't necessarily take part in every system and every public good. So if you do have a public good, then you do warrant like the neediness of a DAO. Um, every, all these other like kind of questions, like what about voter apathy or what's level of decisions or, or everything else that comes from that is basically just fake questions. You don't need to answer it. The biggest question is like, is it, is it a public good and has it been launched properly? And let's clear, when you're saying public goods, that doesn't necessarily mean something that can't make money or turn a profit or deliver value to people who, in, who invest, right? Because I think there's often an idea that, like, you know, public goods is something that is not um, market-focused or doesn't necessarily return value in that way. But you think that there's still a way that public goods can be um, returning, returning value to people who put in money and time. Yeah, uh, nuclear power plants, train stations, natural oligopolies, monopolies, they can still have great, great ROI as long as it's distributed in a, in a, in a decent way. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm curious, you know, when I, the, I first heard of public goods being discussed in the context of something like Gitcoin um, and some of the you know, quadratic funding mechanisms, which I saw also in, discussed in some of your materials I'm curious just because I feel like that's a, a touch point for um, a lot of other listeners. Do you feel like the, the Gitcoin model has been successful? Is there something to learn there? Or do you feel like they're, um, you're going to take a different approach to funding public goods? Uh, are you spe- uh, okay. so you're speaking about quadratic funding? Well, uh, quadratic funding uh, as just as one touch point, but also I don't know, if you're familiar at all with that organization. If not, then we can skip it and just talk about quadratic funding. Yeah, yeah. familiar with Gitcoin, of course. Um, so in, in terms of voting mechanisms, there's a time and a place. It's not unforeseeable that a DAO can use, you know, standards, one-for-one, plutocracy, first-past-the-post, but they can also use, you know, holographic voting inside their core teams or some complicated quadratic voting for, let's say, referendums or constitutional changes. Uh, there's, there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all, and they're going to use an amalgamation of different votes and weighting and reputation and all sorts of sexy stuff in the future that I'm sure will be better. When it comes to public funding, um, it's a much bigger macro question. So, you know, Ethereum's arguably the biggest public good uh, right now in crypto, uh, other than maybe Bitcoin. Um, if we look at infrastructure, it might be like MakerDAO uh, or mm. core DeFi building blocks. Um, and so these core building blocks, like the way you fund them, I would say, it, yes, you can always have a capital matching, but where does that capital go? It always goes on talent. And so in crypto, we have this uh, launch called a, a fair launch. Are you familiar with this? No, go on. 
A fair launch is essentially, you know, you have no VC pre-mine. So, uh, you know, Bitcoin maxis love this stat, but 60% of 60% of all Ethereum tokens were pre-mined. Um, a lot of a lot of big crypto projects, you know, you have VC sales, pre-sale, pre-sale, you know, public sale, post-public, right? Um, and uh, for things that are supposed to withstand hundreds of years of pressure potentially and multiple governments and be like truly decentralized blah 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 like you'd expect a certain type of launch and most people look to these fair launches and it's in the name right fair as being the fairest way to to to, to launch these types of things i think this recently came up too with arbitrum right where they're only giving out 12 percent to the community and 88% is being held by kind of insiders. But it was, there was sort of a funny reaction to that where I think it was Hadzad Walrus from yeah. Ufar replied like, well, if we applied that standard to IPOs, it would look sort of ridiculous. Like why would a company IPOing give out free tokens, free equity to people not involved with the project? Can you kind of speak towards that? Yeah, that's it. I mean, it, it, it's... If it's a private company, it's completely normal. But you're you're, you're telling everyone you're not a private company. You're telling everyone mm. your community owns. It's all grants and ecosystem, and you sold your VCs and the community on this. The entire reason why people are going to build on you is because you have this crypto open source permissionless ethos. Um, you know, some companies like Starkware, you know, they're just like we're a private company, and you have to go learn our language, Cairo, and we're not really tokenizing. You know, pay us money in some form or the other. Um, you know, and they're quite obvious about it. So if, if Arbitrum is masquerading as this public utility L2, and it's clear that they're basically a VC chain, right? Then they're a VC <laughs> chain. Solana has some of the best tech out there. Like, they really do. And their whole initiative with Solana phone is probably quite amazing. But it's still a VC chain, right? And everyone knows them as a VC chain. I mean, that, I think that speaks to some of a problem that a lot of people have with crypto that I guess goes back to some of the ICO days, which, you know, you are certainly there and I'm sure saw some of this where just the messaging and marketing doesn't line up with what people actually intend to deliver. And that's why I think, I think DAOs are really interesting. And this, you know, the word that gets bandied about everywhere is community, right? We're part of the community. We're supported by our community. And yet, a lot of times it's actually still only a couple people making decisions and maybe even fewer making a profit. So I think that there's an, and when people talk about scams in crypto, I think that's a lot of what they really mean is like, hey, you positioned yourself as being about, you know, the buzzwords democratizing and expanding access when really you are about the bottom line. Um, and so I, I'm curious, like for you, when a, you know, when a problem, when a project starts talking about community, is is this a dog whistle? How do you tell if a uh, project is serious about it? Is this only, um, you know, like a fair launch, or how do you position these different companies who all use the same words in different ways? Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I actually thought a lot about this question. I can give it a very simple answer. So it's what the marketing and the ecosystem is focused on. If they're focused on B2C, right? You guys know this like business to consumer. If they're focused mm-hmm. on the users, mm-hmm. if they're focused on fans, if they're focused on, you know, token appreciation, token holders, uh, you know, vanity metrics, let's say, um, they're probably, you know, excluding obvious businesses that need this, like exchanges. Let's talk about protocols and tokens and all this stuff. If they're focusing on this, they're probably focusing on the wrong thing. Um, if they're focusing on 
you know, hackathons and bug bounties and onboarding people to build on their protocol and infrastructure. They're probably in it for the right reasons and doing it in the right way. Uh, we have a saying at Giga, which is, you know, if no one's building on your protocol infrastructure, it's literally fucking worthless. Like, if no one is, if, 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 if it's just sitting there and no one's using it, right? And of course, in Web2, you know, all the network effect was was referrals, right? That the end user refers their friend, it goes viral, blah, blah, blah. In Web3, and, and same goes with uh, Arbus and, and primitives, you know, primitives built, are, are built on top of. And whoever's contracts are at the bottom is, is getting the most throughput, is getting the most usage, and that's what the, the network effect is. And so it's the exact same thing in Web3. So it's not a marketing game, it's more of a sales game, and it's all ecosystem development. How cool are they with developers? You know, how much are people really contributing? And also, what's the style of their DAO model? So if it's more niche-style niche, niche uh, DAOs like Yearn, where you have strategies and vaults, um, you'd look for like more open contribution, healthy community, resources around it, people getting onboarded, et cetera. Mm. And what if they have those metrics, but they're not, you know, pumping from a price perspective? Oh, who could we possibly be talking about? Um, <laughs> well, well th- th- that's, a, that's, a, that's a complicated question. It, it, is this uh, hypothetical ecosystems that, that could it be bought into right now, like other companies, or is there some way to you know grift it right now? Mm. Yeah, I'm just thinking because like a lot of you know in certain circles, we'll call it Urbit. Um, <laughs> there is sort of this uh, this kind of like I don't know, maybe like fear or wariness of sort of shit coining or just general like sort of token economics that you know had its heyday in 2016 through 18, but, you know, it's continued and kind of with the launch of the DeFi summer and all the kind of wild speculation there, there's, there's still like some sort of, I don't know, like hesitation around price, but for most things, you know, look at Cardano or Dogecoin, like the price is the popularity. Um, And you gave a really interesting talk at the Volcano Summit along those lines. So I'm kind of yeah, curious how you would, like, you also mentioned Giga just kind of looking at the long term. So, like, when you see a project that has certain of the metrics but isn't hitting it on price, um, like, where would you kind of advise moving it? And, like, what would be Giga's advice in that situation? Complicated. So, in crypto, you have the unfortunate truth. Again, it's like, if, if you don't have market cap, you know, your perceived success is just so much lower. It's the talk we gave. And, mm-hmm. and fundamentally, you know, People do align this, and but it, but it, it links to everything else. It links to uh, your, your 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 public presence. It, it links to your hiring, like how well you can you know hire people in your open source community, your private companies, how well how healthy people see the ecosystem. So it's all linked to to uh, price. But you know, um, Apple, you know, Apple doesn't. None of the apps apps on app, the Apple App Store are like IPO'd, right? They're not like floating or tokenized. You can't bet on them, unfortunately. I'd love to, but but um, people still speculated <laughs> on them in their own way, right? I think uh, I think as soon as something like Realm launches, or we have our own real app launcher uh, where people can build on top of and see the power, then shit's going to get popping. But I think arbiters will just you know charge ten bucks a month for, mm-hmm. for their services or something like this. I don't think they'll make it complicated. Yeah, I think there's uh, a realization. And I think Starkware is uh, like a part of this, that not everything needs to be tokenized. Not everything needs to have that available to be a successful model and deliver value in Web3. I think a a lot of people were shocked when um, 
Starkware was was valued at a at a billion dollars, and they didn't have a, a token out. And everyone thought, like, you know, how do I get me a piece of that? And the answer sometimes is, well, you get a piece of it by being a part of the ecosystem and building the things on it that you want, and not just sort of buying and and hodling. And so, to to that respect, I um, am sympathetic to this, you know, urban idea that like if if you you don't necessarily want to pri- put price first because that can hinder development and involvement. But at, at some point, I mean, we've talked about this plenty of times on this show, for, for something like Urbit, you eventually need to you know, put your money where your mouth is and start having products out there. And you can have all the developers in the world, but it, it doesn't really matter until they start producing stuff, which it does feel like we're on the, the verge of. But I don't know. Like, I'm curious, I guess, about... Giga's perspective on what Urbit needs to do to you know break through this this next barrier. Yeah, if you're speaking as like a foundation, it's carry on doing what they're doing. I think it's fine focusing on ecosystem development. Uh, you know, they just got shit on, right? They have to do all the technical stuff now, so I think it's gonna be difficult for them to do both in one. As like a culture, I mean, if we coincide the technical roadmap, which is, you know, runtime's going to be better, front end's going to be better, we might have crazy things like a UI kit coming out, right? So now all of a sudden, like all of, all of this is just so much more realistic. We have teams, uh, both Solium and Chorus One, they're going to create, you know, low friction for free, you know, booting and onboarding of users. We are going to have tools like Holy Realm um, that's going to let people, you know, have basic discord and communities just way better. So um, I don't think there's anything that needs to be done. Uh, if we look at some companies like Vienna Global, you know, Vienna Hypertext, that's a clear example of a private initiative company that will take VC and work super well on Urbit. It matches in every sense of the word, from the aesthetic to the, like, the workflow. It just, it just matches. Mm-hmm. But if we come to stuff like... Uh, era, you know, reputation management, Akbar, um, or other, you know, core primitives around the ecosystem. That is a different question. So, as I understand, Akbar has already been going through round after round of uh, VC funding, right? So, this is going to be very much so a private, a private company. Um, it won't be a big, lofty crypto DAO, right? Well, <laughs> you know, it depends. It depends on. Uh... Who you're asking at what time? I would, you know, it hasn't gone through round after round yet, but certainly there's, you know, private private funding involved for sure. Do you think that like it's necessary for a company that is building infrastructure? Can that only succeed if it's being funded in like a like a public first way or through public investment, or can there be some sort of marriage between these um these two things where you're getting you know capital like necessary capital to move the project forward um while still building a resource that can be used uh by the entire ecosystem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, d- definitely the latter I- i'm not so pessimistic there can be roots and you do need venture and risk and they should be rewarded um if people want a palpable a uh, tangible, real-world example of what where it can go awry, awry sorry, uh, and bad. You know, just look to make a DAO. If you look at the uh, fiasco that, that kind of last month and the month before, you know, you'll see the votes with the big VC funds like A16C, um, and they control you know hefty proportions. The same goes for Uniswap, and with delegates, they control you know hefty proportions. It's just like real-world politics. 
uh, giving people an unfair head start is a big issue. So if you're saying, I'm making something that's going to be as big as Ethereum, or like close to it, you know, a tenth of the size, you, and it's you know, going to be something that is for the public, you have to really, really think about that initial funding and, and structuring, as well as, you know, the size that you raise at, how much you're selling at that size, the, the F, the fully diluted, the fully diluted valuation once you go public, the ability to, for normies to enter. So right now, no normies can enter Starkware. It's like closed box, VC backed, yeah. you know, everything, you know, negative, negative, negative. So hardcore mm. crypto people are never going to use Starkware, right? It's just not going to happen. Yeah, and I'm curious, you know, the Ethereum crowd sale is really interesting. Like, yes, there was a very large pre-mine, but the, it was also like permissionless in some way. Like it was accessible to anyone. Like I know a number of people who were just like small timers, not rich at all, and definitely not VCs who got in on that Ethereum crowd sale. And so there's sort of this aspect of like, is it open to the public? Like distinct from just how, pre, how big is the pre-mine? Um, you know, maybe that did skew more VC than average people, but there was this sort of sense of like anyone could get into the Ethereum crowd sale. And then, you know, with like, it seems to be mostly regulatory, um, with kind of the SEC closing that off around 2018. Um, but can you speak to like, do you think it's that projects want to be kind of VC first, or is that more just like regulatory capture that's forcing them to, you know, restrict to accredited investors and that's been skewing capital more towards VCs on these projects? It's much So first of all, someone, someone casually giving you $5 million and it's in their mandate is going to message you even less than a guy giving you $800, but he earns $2,000 a month. And so all of these ICOs found out that having, you know, 20,000 investors well, not investors, contributors, that's what they called them. Having 20,000 contributors is like fucking insane, right? Because uh, you now have a customer support operation through the roof, right? A, a contributor relation, it, it, it's just so silly. Um, moreover, when it comes to investor thesis over the last year, two years, a big part of investor thesis has been on infrastructure as always. And, you know, if you look at Starkware or Scroll, or whoever it is, they're coming out with huge billion-dollar valuations. What does that mean? Well, they're doing it because they're arguing to the VCs. They hey, VCs, look at Sui, Aptos, Nia, whoever. They have a quarter of a billion dollars, half a billion dollars, a billion dollars in cash to go and shit all over the world and onboard as many projects as they can in the next five years. We need money to compete. Right, we need to t tell everyone why they should learn our language. We have to have all this education to learn our language, our ecosystem, our dev environment. Um, you know, they have to set up, blah blah blah. Get you know, and, and and so and so they all have this kind of circular arguments. Now it's shifting a little bit. Of course, they're moving from grants into uh, accelerator funds. They're changing the model because they realized they're just throwing money out the window. But uh, nonetheless, this is why. You know, normies are being excluded even these huge you know aptos and Siri are the next wave of blockchains they're based on a new virtual machine called move not a, not a theorem's virtual machine um and it's supposed to be inherently more secure that's what they say mm. and they raise you know hundreds of millions of dollars um yeah regulation is definitely an issue like probably the biggest issue for sure um otherwise i'm sure scammers and, and, and some icos would still do it uh but if you look at so yarn um, Yarn launched in 2020, I want to say. 
Uh, completely a non-fair launched. Um, of course, like probably Andre Kroner and these guys, right? Same with the follow-on projects and the ones around it. Uh, this is a yield-bearing governance token, is it not? So, and, and this was completely fair launched. Anyone can contribute to start and space in early liquidity mining. So they launched it in a different way. Um, so there are ways around it. If you want to do these pure organic fair launch type plays, some are doing it. But yeah, anything touching America, anything big, if you're raising over $5 million, you're, you're just accredited or, or nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious uh, to, to shift a little bit as, as someone who is just at, you know, two big crypto events. Well, one bigger than the other, <laughs> you know, ETH Denver and the, the Volcano Summit. You know, I'm, so many projects at ETH Denver are looking for funding, looking to drum up interest. And then you move to this other much smaller environment that's urban focused and sort of seems to be about focusing the energy of a, you know, a community that already exists. I'm curious if <clears throat> you felt like you learned anything from like attending these two events or what some of the through lines or, na- <clears throat> or narratives in crypto right now are and how money is moving through the ecosystem and, and what that's getting us. Yeah, so I have a funny observation. Uh, in crypto right now, there's hundreds of millions of dollars directed into DAO tooling. Are you gentlemen familiar with this DAO tooling landscape? Yes, but you know, for our for our listeners, why don't you why don't you go ahead? Okay, so uh, DAOs were a buzzword. Um, DAOs needed to be supported. DAO tooling became a thing. Uh, DAO tooling can range from everything from reputation management, to treasury management, to onboarding new users, uh, to how you collaborate together, project manage, pay people, etc. right? So um, the funny interlink is uh, Arbit, by de facto, with actually with, with products like Realm, uh, is solving almost like what's, you know, 50, 100, 200 million dollars worth of capital is going into almost like by accident, just by de facto. So there's all this money on the crypto side going into tools like Mirror.xyz, um, Wonderverse, Layer Free, basically all of these like social tools on top that can do things like gating. They can do things like mutual documentation, mutual chats. There's no single place of ownership, right? Uh, and they're all developing this in their own, um, how to describe it? Uh, the best analogy would be like uh, a- a- AOL and um, all these different like intranets or like, you know, am, am I right? Or, like having their own kind of little cordons of internet. They don't speak to each other. They're not interoperable. But you're going to have, you have to go and make your DAO and it's like one specific place and it lives there forever, right? Uh, yeah. And it's quite hilarious. So so there's all these tools popping up uh, at the ETH Denver conference, this big narrative of DAO tooling, and I go to the Urbit, and they don't know any. They don't know what a DAO is. It seems they have like a few DAOs, but they're not really DAOs. Um, and and they've just made like the best DAO tooling possible, but they haven't positioned it. They're not pitching it. It's just like, yeah, it's just intrinsic to Urbit. I thought that was hilarious. Sort of accidentally stumbled on the answer that you know hundreds of millions of dollars are trying to create out of nothing at, in Denver. Literally. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's very funny. I mean, I think that like that's one of the exciting things about Urbit and like at Ukbar, you know, like I think some of the our position um, is that 
it's less about creating something sometimes as you know revealing what was already there and what urba is already doing and will be able to do with um blockchain you know integration i think like you know dow tooling is a is a fundraising buzzword into everything and what it means for people differs but there is something sort of innate about urbit that is just impossible to replicate outside of it at least right now feels that way i was just wondering you know we've talked a lot about urbit already and one thing we like to ask our guests for the ones who who are involved in urbit is just what exactly got you there and how you learned about it i mean everyone seems to have their own weird strange journey to urbit so i'm curious about how <laughs> you first got involved with the, the ecosystem yeah uh, silly story I, I i lived in kiev i ran these breakfasts called buy high sell low it was see crypto breakfast mainly <laughs> many traders founders you get it and i've had a lot of you know internationals come through one by one so one day this uh you know guy comes through on a network he is uh i think it's sarapin sarapin sarapin, sarapin maybe yeah sarapin. Um, sarapin and you know for anyone who's met sarapin and uh real life you know he's a bit of a character and and he was telling me about this thing called called urbits and this was in i think 2020 and so we were all just like you know how do we make money from this you know like like can i buy your token like how does it work is it a blockchain <laughs> blah, blah blah we didn't understand you it. want a star <laughs> i want a star yeah like what's the dress space just tell me all these galaxies i didn't guess it he, and then I, I spoke to another you know random person who's from the uh, Urbit, who was uh, Tim, actually, from Akbar. And he, well, Tim, he, he, Tim is uh, the, the former co-host of this, of this show. He's, he's on hiatus right now, but he's, he's often on here. So <laughs> right. to, our, to our listeners, a, a nice callback. <laughs> so meeting Sarpin and Tim and having them as the Urbit pillars, you know, are, and not knowing who they are within the community and just being like, okay, who are these guys telling me about this random tech? Uh, and, and when Tim told me I got it and I was like, okay, cool. I will, I will keep, uh, I will keep an eye on it. It wasn't until I actually saw the, uh, realm demos that like everything came together for me. I forget when it was, I, I think it was early 2020, uh, sorry, early 2022. Uh, I, I don't want to lie. Well, late, late 2021, I forget. I asked her, Sarpin to add me to the network, spin me up, you know, a ship, et cetera, and have a nosy around. And that's when I was, that's when I ever killed myself. I think you have to go through it yourself. There's only so much people mm-hmm. can tell you, but whenever someone tries to, especially, you know, a Hoon dev is so esoteric, you know, like, like Hoon is, is, is the, uh, is wetware that was put into, uh, Yarvin and like it's the great filter for humanity you know we either become <laughs> web 2 slaves or we all like program in here like if you ask an Urbit dev or anyone from Urbit it's like why Urbit's the future what it does you get some weird esoteric answers so you do have to you do have to find out for yourself yeah I I think you know I was also sort of brought into the Urbit world by um, by Tim Luck and have you know enjoyed exploring it myself once you once you started that process what um what really attracted you what stuck out to you obviously the you said the realm demo helped but it well you well you may be technical it doesn't sound like you're a dev and out there coding every day uh, you know correct me if i'm wrong but so something else must have been the stuff that draws you if you're not you know rolling around in hoon all day and and loving it this question is actually hard for me to answer because and not sound like a dick it's just very obvious and i think it's obvious because 
I come from the crypto world and I've heard like six years of promises of what it's supposed to enable. And basically what they meant is just Arbit. So on a social layer, Arbit solves all things, right? If we consider the biggest applications like WeChat, Talk, Telegram, WhatsApp, whatever, you know, they're all amazing but imperfect in their own way, right? I, like Signal's great, but I don't want to give up my phone number and so on and so on and so on. And there's always going to be some Israeli company that can break it, freak it, do something to it in some way somehow over the while it doesn't matter right just like some cracks some if they want to get you so fundamentally i understand that everything's going to evolve and revolve around chats in some way communication and the entire aesthetic you know of going through something like sphinx like you have curation instead of this big global search that's based on you know it's just a different approach entirely and i understood it rather intuitively you know it's counter counter culture but done in the right way because underneath tech is good like it actually works mm-hmm. and it's getting better really fast right it's getting better really fast so 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 it was compelling for me dan and um I was sold, sold when I talked to Josh and Thomas, you know, which, and, and they gave me, you know, it's okay, from 2003 to 2020, stuff happened. Between 2020 and 2022, all of a sudden you have 65 apps, you know, 70 mm. apps, right? So, so like something changed, right? And that's, and that's really interesting. So it's a combination of everything for me, which was the culture, the clear use case, the clear go to market as like both an ecosystem and for private businesses, and uh, the absolutely, Epic people. I remember being in. Sorry, I'm going on a bit of a tangent. Let me see. Please, yeah. An X in the chat to tell me to shut up. No, no, yeah. go ahead. This is a good so, tangent. So, in my in Miami, there was uh, a table. On a table, you could make custom. Uh, this is an assembly in uh, in 2022. Uh, on the table, there was a custom cigarette maker. Right, so you could have branded cigarettes <laughs> with. With Arbit, and I just I just realized like this is fucking awesome. You know, so. So I, I just bought in. I just knew it's, it's a winner. Um, I just knew the culture. You know, we spend lots of clients' money and lots of time making and creating cultures. And this is an organic culture of, like, very different subcultures. And it's hilarious to see them all interact. But somehow, <laughs> somehow it works. And so, yeah, you went to assembly after that. And then you were at Volcano Summit um, wrestling with core devs um but you also you also sponsored the summit and so i'm curious like what is it a personal investment thesis from you or is this sort of giga's position how do you kind of see yourself moving forward and getting more involved with urbit at this point yeah both and all the above so um you know if, if we're speaking strictly like what's in it for us like shadi what's in it for you uh, relationships, you know, we invest in the relationships now, we help people now, it, it should pay dividends later, and it's not something we hate doing, like, we're not forcing ourselves to go to a volcano in El Salvador and have to hang out with, you know, it, it's fun, we enjoy it, we enjoy the people, we enjoy what we're building, so that really works. Uh, sponsoring students is always, you know, good ROI, like, that always pays off. Um, our play is, like, we don't we don't know yet, we don't know, so, so we know We'll probably buy galaxies, like that makes sense, like for the fun strategy, and that's within the mandates, and that gives us governance mm. over whatever uh, uh, it is. Like that's clear to us. Um, how the companies work, what makes sense there? Like it's just too many questions, and 
not enough deal flow right now. Like a lot of people, a lot of the best devs, like like the real killer Hoon devs, you know, they're, they're, they're one-man team building like multiple different apps, but these apps aren't really investable right now, but they're still cool to mm -hmm. build and like flesh out. And you don't really want to stop that just yet. Yeah, I mean, I think like the, uh, the one-man teams uh, really speak to some of the interesting stuff about urban culture. There's just people pumping stuff out without necessarily having an eye on profit. Like I'm sure that, you know, everyone would love, all these guys would love to be making money on the applications they're building and they deserve to eventually, but that's not the motivating factor right now. And it's not stopping anybody from building if you're really into the system. And so, I mean, some of what you were saying about urban culture and like aesthetics and community and, you know, the, the branded roll your own uh, cigarette thing actually reminded me of something that was in some of the materials you gave us for Giga about, you know, the importance of being cool, which I, you know, actually think is a, it's a funny idea, but it's a very smart idea too for um, when you're trying to create places online that people want to spend time and, and put their money and um, energy into. It needs to be something that feels good on, on more than just a monetary level sometimes. This actually goes back to, I'm not sure if you've met or spent time with Dachis Tiprel, probably in El, in El Salvador. <laughs> um, yeah, he was a, he's an Oak Bar dev, and he was on our last episode. And he was he was lobbying really hard for what he called um, party DAO. Well, <laughs> that too. Um, but you know, like sort of, I don't know. He was really putting this idea first of like you know aesthetics matter, something being cools matter, having something be a place you want to spend time matters, um, vibes matter, and like. When when you say in the Giga materials like are you cool is that a similar idea do like the vibes matter in what you're investing in and making money and building a community This is what we this is what we tell ourselves and that's like the rough the rough thesis right um you know top level the, the central premise of the argument is something along the lines of more and more lifestyle is merging with like what we do. And so people make their work, their identity. We've always done that, right? That's not a new thing. We have masters of carpentry in Japan and there'll be the 52 generations of just being a carpenter. This, it's, not, it's not a new thing to make your work or identity, but more and more so it, it seems as though uh, in the crypto ecosystem, it's really lame because they do it with like really lame merch and stickers, you know, and they're so hypocritical about it. Sorry, the, like, the bus just... of corn. Yeah, well, yeah, but they go on and on about, you know, regenerative finance and solar punks, and then they'll, you know, fly 80 people out to a conference in Berlin to give you, you know, free merch by children from Bangladesh. And it's just like, you know, whose side do you want? You, you know, go shave your armpits. But I'm not <laughs> like, like, but say, you know, um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. There's something innately cool about urban culture. I think that's what attracts people in a, a variety of people. There's definitely rough edges. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Sure. Um, and that's that, that polarizing culture is what defines it too. Like having polarizing culture, it's, it's not open, it's not mainstream, it's not tolerant. Like, like, urban, like urban, urban is not tolerant of, you know, not, not thought out ideas. Like if you try and present an idea to an arbiter with, you know, any reasonable strength and you haven't thought it out, they will, they will shoot you down and rip you apart. So this, this, <laughs> well, they, they will, right? They, they can sense, yeah, they can yeah. sense shit. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of relates to this interesting thing I noticed in the Giga materials, which is like, it's just such a huge shift from crypto marketing 
um, from like 2016 through like 2018, we're like inf- making infrastructure cool. Like it's, it's weird to say urban is cool when it's, it's mostly just infrastructure. It's, it's an operating system. Um, and so there, there's, there's something really interesting about this like shift where like, I don't know, people like Giga, but also Urbit fairly organically have, have been able to make fairly complicated things appear cool to outsiders who don't even have technical experience. Yeah, and that's for for a variety of visuals and communications. I think you've done that quite well. Have have you spent any time talking to Sam Frank? Can you describe him? (laughs) I I can't describe what he looks like because I've never (laughs) met him. He's on the the Urbit Foundation... And um, he, you know, he's an interesting guy. He used to be in the uh, the writing and art world in New York, sort of. Ah, uh, yes. He was it for, to your left at the Urbit Foundation yes. dinner, kind of like I don't want to like date your... him, but great. <laughs> yes. He has a beard. Uh, he's yes, probably yes, like yes. late forties. I remember we're speaking about schizo posters and his collection. <laughs> yeah, yes. sure. I mean, he's he's a uh, really interesting guy, and he had a great episode with us um, a few episodes ago. But he was one of the sort of organizing forces behind um, Urbit NYC Week, which might have um, been slightly before your involvement in Urbit. But basically, they they you know at the same time as Fashion Week in New York sponsored a ton of parties, raves, art events, Urbit adjacent cool things that, you know, we're getting people to, to reinforce some of these relationships IRL while also still emphasizing, you know, this aspect of Urbit that you've described of being, you know, rigorous, um, uh, rough edges, interested and interesting and doing that with, with real life events as well as online. And I think that like, that's, I don't know, a great example of some of the weird stuff that's going on with Urbit. Like it's a it's a online community, but it also has enough power to create these real physical forces, whether it's, you know, an, a New York Fashion Week party um, or it's people hanging out around a volcano. Like people are willing to come from all around the world to participate in these things because not only is it interesting, it, it feels cool. They, you know, it satisfies them on a deeper level. Yeah, developers as well most valuable yeah i mean you know as as tim Luck would say you know it's his these devs are oil that's what he kept saying for the for the 21st century um that they're they're the fuel and the power and you need to you need to attract them and i don't know if you need if one of the ways to attract and keep people is by making them feel cool that's a real you get a real roi on that then this this is this is it so you know different people want to feel you know different there's obviously subjective standards of cool um, in England this weekend, people will go and watch, you know, horses race and have a, an Aperol spritz, perhaps a champagne and a raspberry, uh, and it's going to be cool for them. Uh, are you against? Are you against horses and Aperol spritz? No, that sounds like a great, a great weekend. <laughs> okay. Like in my weekends, I'm just telling you my weekends. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, but you know, others are going to be like in El Salvador eating ceviche, you know, smoking fag after fag and like, you know, crushing through him, right? And, I, and it, it, in the in the urban ecosystem, it's not watered down. So the cool people are probably the people that deserve to be cool, right? Except for maybe like a few. So like they're actually doing stuff with merits <laughs> and, and, and worthiness. It's not just perception or because they have a big following on YouTube or something. Like, no, they contributed to like core dev or, you know, they're improving the runtime, they're working on a unique product, a terminal, private company, pushing something forward, like people respect that. Um, that is quite different from the crypto industry. I remember, I remember, sorry, 
is there any eggs in chat? Okay, quick side tangent. This is what Arbish never become. Uh, Hyderabad, right, which is East India, uh, 2018, next to Goa. I'm going to a conference, important conference. On a side, on a side stage, one of the biggest influencers at the time. You can Google him. His name is Ian Bellina. So he's speaking on a side stage. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty aware of him. The start of his the start of his presentation, I shit you not, you can even watch it back if you don't believe me. The start of his presentation in the background, it's like him uh, on a boat uh, with a bottle of Dom Perignon, drinking it out of like his Gucci shoes, like on the yacht. Oh, and then, no. yeah, like, that's in like the background. And then he has like three guys all wearing like Philip Pine, Gucci, Rolexes, you know, and they're all shouting like he wants to make money, you know, like this. And, and um. This is not cool. But if you go to the bar and you go to the crypto conferences, you know, people are like, yeah, like, are you trading, you know, Locky or some random shit coin you never heard of? And and this is cool to them. This is who they follow. Uh, um, so so um, what we try and say is that the, the, the setting of the call, the narrative of the coolness uh, is somehow seeded. Right, you usually you have a few, a few cedars, and, and this happens uh, over different variables like aesthetic, how you dress, how you act, you know, the, the the associated mental states. So if you start ascribing this type of stuff to uh, urban, you might get I don't know schizophrenia, you know, like like, like um, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, and you get a very clear picture of the culture and what we consider cool and based and interesting and you know thoughtful authoritative in our bit. What's cringe is a, is a bigger question. So Shad, one thing I found really interesting from your presentation at the Volcano Summit in El Salvador was just this idea of, of like sort of mission-driven versus price-driven projects. And, you know, you've already kind of talked about Urbit. You've kind of talked about how being cool here is more about contributing to the ecosystem, which, yeah, I agree, I think is excellent. I'm kind of curious, are there other projects that are also tapping into this sort of mission-driven values um, that are thriving as well alongside Urbit? Yeah. Um, no, I think for the most part, no. <laughs> it, 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 it's just true, right? Like, unfortunately, not. It's it, it's just the case that we have a system. I'm not saying it's bad, but we have some capitalistic system. It has fundraising mechanisms, and because of those mechanisms, certain things happen. Uh, therefore, the vessels of value delivery, i.e., businesses, projects, the way we you know take our inputs and give our outputs, are therefore you know, biased and customized by these funding variables, by these things that keep us alive. If we can't you know, initially, let's say, drive revenue or or make money or stay afloat or, mm. or keep it up and running in another way, and so you know when you get to let's say something like era or, or, or whatnot, you, you'll find a lot more that maybe there just needs to be grants. Maybe somehow this needs to be a primitive. Maybe there needs to be another way for it to run. If it does need to be maintained, you have to figure out a way for people to, you know, give you money, ideally bootstrapping, you know, potentially. I've just been on this theme of kind of like how to activate more people, like making Urbit investable like how to best make urban investable, but also to activate these kind of like cool people who don't currently have anything to do. Like they're not learning Hoon. Um, they're interesting. They're kind of culturally relevant. Um, but there's sort of this question of like, it, it seems like there's two things, like one activating this like coolness factor and keep bringing cool people who kind of contribute to urban aesthetically. Um, but I'm also just very interested in this, like, how to make it more investable. Because it's sort of like, you know, you get Urbit pilled, you're really interested in it. 
of course, like Giga can buy galaxies. But there's this general question of like, oh, if you really like a certain company, it, it, it seems like people are still bouncing off from an investment perspective. So I'm trying to get at like, why, why are they bouncing off when they kind of look at Urbit? Is it just like, is it still just young and like these companies need to form and kind of go past the seed phase to, big, to actually need rounds of money? I'm sort of, yeah, I'm wondering why people like you, Shad, are kind of bouncing off at the company level. Yeah, difficult. I, I guess I don't know the answer yet. Um, so, I mean, to, to the first part of, of bringing more people in, um, there's always that balance, right? You don't want to bring in like this edgy NFT people, for example. Mm. Uh, the, uh, I doing a, a great job of it right now, of bringing people in, whether it's through random influences like George Holtz, etc. Uh, this organicness, I, I guess it's just key. Um, so I'm not sure what tactics other than like constantly co-signing or going out there you may you may do. Uh, also, we have a very clear thesis though on the second part of your question, which is this is all going to come from private business. So it like there's just too many unknowns. So like we don't know what we don't know, but something's going to build on top of Realm, which is going to build on top of that, and that's going to be used by millions of people, and that will be called mm. an onboarded like you know the onboarding mechanism. Um, for the same reason why the Urbit Foundation doesn't target, you know, the masses, they just target products like Holy and they'll go target a million people. We think the onboarding in the coolness will happen there. So let's say you have a a uh, a MySpace or a Bebo analog or something akin to that, you know, like something a, a, a you know, 10 to 17-year-old demographic that wants to show their identity visually might use. It, 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 what, why not using an Urbit app? Actually, it's going to make a lot more sense using an Urbit app, collaborating with their friends in real time. It's all secure, away from their parents, uncensored. You know? yeah. So, so, so um, I think there's going to be like a killer app like that which is going to come out, and that's going to be the one. Mm. I mean, what that sort of reminds me of is Dodges' recent post on uh, you need to build the favelas. I'm not sure if you... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, for, for anyone, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes. But, um, you know, the, the sort of idea is that things like Praxis and these intentional cities will never work or will never build cool cities because they're so inorganic and like astroturfed and designed from the, the top down, right? They could, you know, at best, they could end up being like a Singapore or Dubai, but they're not going to be, you know, New York or Paris. And it's because those cities emerged like organically there you know no one was like sitting out and doing like uh 10 years of urban planning they they built the favela right they built they just started building and adding and the things stayed open late and there weren't restrictions and people were attracted by what was there and they kept coming and kept building so maybe urbit you know takes the favela approach right where it's just people are coming because they like what's there and they keep building and they keep adding and more and more people are going to look up and say hey that's a sick place to spend time let's go let's go build there and uh you know eventually the what you get is what you get is you know digital paris digital new york digital Mm. you know whatever your city is i like that bitchel urban is the digital favela the digital favela yeah (laughs) exactly I was yeah. very surprised at how, like, you know, how that post really went fairly viral on, like, on an urban scale. And, like, I won't say, like, yeah. exactly who, but I noticed, like, a few high-ranking officials in developing countries started following uh, Dasha's Tipro after that. I was, like, kind of shocked, actually, that you could put out, like, just a theory. And then it's like, oh. A pro-favela well, like, post? 
Yeah, you can yeah. a Bella post and then like it, it gets like a bizarrely high amount of engagement. And then people are wondering like, is this a joke or is this how it's going to build? And it, it seems more like the latter. Like people are starting to get really behind this idea of building up organically and kind of getting disillusioned with these top-down approaches that get you just another Dubai that's kind of lifeless or like another Facebook that's even worse than Dubai. <laughs> yeah. If we, uh, if we rank Facebook versus Dubai. Um, yeah, I just, I, th I think that that is very appealing to me. The idea that, you know, maybe, maybe the work comes first, right? Like, um, the development comes first, the, the building comes first and that, that grabs people. And I think that if what you're, that puts a lot of emphasis on just making something that's good because you don't, you know, you don't have the money yet to go back on. You can't just exit your, your ICO and say, all right, later I got my check. It's just, well, I built half a building. So, yeah. you know, I got to finish it for people to come. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's the final part of the question. You know, everyone's, this is the new mean ride, but it's like, I can do with a team of 40, what you could do with a team of like 4,000, right? Just the, mm -hmm. the, the new company, the new company matter. Right, it's just, oh, I can build that, but it's like 180 lines of, of, of whom. I mean, the other question being asked is, do you need 1,500 people to go and build your crazy company, or do you need four? I mean, it, it seems like for so much urban stuff, like it literally, like you said, is just, you know, a guy <laughs> typing on the weekend, making something that, that works pretty well. And it's may, you know, maybe not perfect yet, but, you know, blog, which Dodge just built in a weekend. It's, uh, you know, in, incredible what, what people are able to, to. I can't, I can't believe how many shout outs he is getting. No, I, I, well, he was just, he was on the, uh, the most recent episode. And, uh, so I think he, but Dodge just, we don't, we don't like you. I'm sorry. <laughs> we shouldn't have given you this much credit. I'm going to edit you out of, uh, a lot of this episode well yeah in the interest of balancing yeah we'll we'll edit you out and then um yeah let's talk a little bit about like the stripe connection like that was just dope like someone was like oh can we build a stripe connection and it was like yes like the uf just like scoped out a stripe connection during their offsite in like a day in just an afternoon and then it's like oh okay now you can take fiat payments and then of course once ukbar goes live uh we're able to support eth and so it's just like, it's just bizarre, the rate of development. I'm sort of like trying to wrap my head around that and just kind of figure out, you know, how quickly this is going to move forward. And people are, are new to Hoon, mm. right? Like a lot of the people who are building it, like they did Hoon School a year ago, like less, maybe a little bit more. And like all of a sudden these apps are still coming out. So, I mean, for all the talk that Hoon gets about being esoteric and like the great filter, as you said, once people devote themselves to it or, and are sort of urbipilled, Hoon-pilled, like they're able to make really strong applications very quickly, which, I don't know, as someone who's not technical, that's very surprising to me. It, it's, it seems like this is the type of thing that would take many more years of work than it, than it has. All right, this seems like a, a great place to end this conversation. Uh, Shad, it's been awesome having you. I think a ton of ideas for, for us to think about and really excited to have uh, you and, and Giga part of the ecosystem. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Basho. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, to all our listeners, we'll see you next time on The Network Age. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to The Network Age. It'll really help us to keep getting our ideas out there, getting you know great guests and giving you what you want. If you can just help us with a few things, uh, subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, give us a good rating if you liked it, you know, hit that five stars. 
And our Twitters are in the show notes for me, Bitchell, and Nilrun. So follow us, retweet, promote the show, and we will keep giving you that amazing Network Age content that you love. <laughs>